As I said a little earlier, we're going to be taking a break this morning from our study through the book of Exodus. I invite you to take your Bibles and open with me to the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17 this morning. If you have not brought a Bible with you, there are uh, pew Bibles, black pew Bibles in the pew racks in front of you, and if you'd like to uh, read along, our passage is found on page 939 in those black pew Bibles. I thought this morning that I would not only preach a missions sermon, but also piggyback on uh, the other pastor's Sunday evening sermon series uh, on the book of Romans. So going back to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to be reading this morning. We'll be focusing our attention on verses 8 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to our God in prayer. Our God, how we thank you for the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who indeed came into the world to save sinners. We thank you that we are saved by faith and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, O God, we pray that you would be with us, that you would encourage us, not only in our faith, but also to desire to make that faith known to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Romans, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is presented. And in the first 17 verses of this letter, the gospel, is, is uh, mentioned six times. Four times we see 
explicit reference to the word gospel. And then in verses 16 and 17, we see the word it used twice with reference to the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Six times we see the word gospel used or mentioned. The gospel is what? The good news of salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's also key in Romans and in these opening verses of Romans is the preaching of the gospel. And in particular, Paul's desire to make Christ known to the nations, among the nations. We see that theme here and throughout this letter to the Romans. Look with me, for instance, at verse 5 of Romans chapter 1. It says, through whom, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. We also see a, a very similar idea in verse 13, where in the the very end of verse 13, Paul says he wants to come to them in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. It's actually the very same Greek word. It's just translated differently, but we could translate the nations here instead of Gentiles. So the focus here from the very beginning is the gospel preached to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. Now what we see at the, here at the beginning of Romans is also what we see at the very end of the book of Romans. Turn with me forward to Romans chapter 16. What we're going to see here is what biblical scholars call an inclusio, parentheses that hold this letter together. Look at the doxology in Romans 16, verses 25 and following. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. There those themes are again, the obedience of faith to the nations, among the nations. That was the focus That's what Paul begins with, the gospel for the nations. It's what Paul ends with here in in Romans chapter 16. Now, while we're here in Romans 16, let's turn back a page or whatever it is in your Bibles. And let me just point out something else in Romans 15, verses 22 to 24. Paul talks here about his plan to visit to them, 
beginning in 1522. He says, this is the reason why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. He wants to see them as he goes to Spain, a mission trip to Spain to go and preach the gospel. In other words, what does he want to do? He wants to use Rome as a base of missions operation to go to Spain, to be helped by them as he goes off to Spain. Now, one purpose, I think, is fairly clear for why Paul writes this letter to the Romans, even with all of its wonderful theology, he doesn't write this as some kind of theological treatise, although it has a lot of great theology in it. This is, in some sense, a a missionary support letter, is what we have here. He's writing because he wants to, in one sense, see them, encourage them, preach the gospel in, in, in Rome, but but also as he heads off to Spain. But as we come back to chapter 1, it's interesting that he says here in chapter 1, verse 15, he wants to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. An interesting statement. He doesn't say, I want to preach the gospel in Rome. He says to these Rome believers, I want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Keep that in mind. Why does Paul want to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three things that I think we can see in this text this morning. I always seem to see three things, but here we are, three things in this text this morning. Why? Well, the first is obvious as Paul goes on in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is Paul want to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome? He is not ashamed of the gospel. And why is he not ashamed of the gospel? Because it, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is power. The preaching of the gospel is power, he says. It is through the preaching of the word that that hearts are changed, that lives are transformed. God works through it, the preaching of the gospel. We don't need to show movie clips We don't need to do other things to to entertain. In fact, we shouldn't be doing those things. It's through the preaching of the word that God changes hearts and changes people. In it, he says here in, in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is it is a free gift of God. This salvation. The righteousness that comes from God, being made right with God. 
And he goes on then in what follows in 18 and following, beginning with the bad news of God's wrath on human sin. That's why the good news is so good, the good news of the gospel, because of the the bad news of God's wrath on human sin, which all deserve. All are sinners. And so it must be a gift from God. God's gift to us. God's wrath must be turned away. It is in the message, in the proclamation, that salvation comes through the preaching of the gospel. One key question we can ask here is, why does Paul state it here in verse 16 in the negative? For I am not ashamed. Why doesn't he put it in the positive? I have confidence in the gospel. I know God works through the gospel or something along those lines. Why does he say I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Maybe it's for rhetorical effect. A few weeks ago, I was teaching on Philippians, and I was talking about uh, the, the rhetorical devices and talked about the rhetorical handbooks. Those of you who are in that class that, that morning, the, the, the ancient rhetorical handbooks, many of them even coming from Paul's day in the, the first century, there's a there's a, a rhetorical device called the litotes, where you, you state the negative for rhetorical effect for a variety of, of reasons. And, and Paul does use various rhetorical um, devices, we could, we could call them. Here, I think it's most likely that he states it in the negative terms because we have a sinful tendency to be ashamed of the gospel. We have a sinful tendency to be ashamed of the gospel. Turn forward with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is going to use this same phrase, if you look at 2 Timothy 1.12, picking up mid-sentence here, he says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Well, look at the context. Look back at verse 8, his exhortation to Timothy. He tells Timothy, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, as he says here. He, if you look back at verses 6 and 7, he says, for this reason, I remind you to to, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit 
uh, of fear, but of power and love and, and, and self-control. We could also say God did not give us a, a spirit of, of timidity. We, we read elsewhere in Paul's letters that, that Timothy may have been somewhat timid. Timid Tim is what perhaps we might call him. God did not give us a, a spirit of timidity. Do not be ashamed. Do not shrink back, he says here. It is our sinful tendency to be ashamed, to, to draw back from speaking of Christ. As John Stott puts it, there's no sense in declaring that you're not ashamed of something unless you've been tempted to be ashamed of it. Now let me, let me very briefly suggest that there may be some historical reason for this, quote, shame that the the Roman Christians might be dealing with. Very briefly, without getting into too much detail, in AD 49, the Emperor Claudius uh, in Rome issued an edict that banned Jews from Rome. There's some question about how many. Was it all Jews? Was it some Jews? But they banned them over some disturbances in the Jewish community. The disturbances, as a later Roman historian wrote, was over someone named Crestus, as he puts it, this Roman historian, which was, seems to have been disturbances over Christ. In other words, Jewish Christian evangelism taking place in Jewish circles. And the non-Christian Jews seem to have not liked it. And at least many were expelled. By the way, in Acts chapter 18, we see Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth, and it says they, they were there because Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome. They, they, they were they were. Two of the ones who were kicked out, expelled because evangelism. Rome didn't like evangelism and Rome didn't like disturbances. They didn't like either of those things. In AD 54, Claudius expired and so did his edict. That's three years before Paul writes Romans. Jews are returning to Rome, and they're going to be asking the question, what do we do now? What do we do now? One answer that Paul is going to give is support his gospel to the Gentiles. The gospel going to the Gentiles, as he's going to say in Romans 9 to 11, is not to... Not to, not to uh, steal the thunder of our brothers on Sunday nights. It's going to make the Jews jealous and save some of them. Gentiles are going to be saved. Thus, all Israel will be saved. The text is going to say later, so support his mission to the Gentiles. That's, that's one thing that we might, might see here. But it could also be to be a call to boldness. What do we do now? Be bold. Here's the gospel. Be bold in the preaching of the gospel. 
Even in light of the history, a call to to boldness. Brothers and sisters, don't we have a sinful tendency to be ashamed of the gospel? A hesitancy to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a a world that says only one way to God, that's intolerant. That's, that's hate speech. Several years ago, many of you might remember this, the Southern Baptists had announced a, a, an evangelistic outreach in the city of Chicago, and the Council of Religious Leaders of Metro Chicago sent a letter to the Southern Baptist Convention warning that their evangelistic blitz could, quote, poison interfaith relations and indirectly contribute to violence. Evangelism is going to indirectly contribute to violence. Verse 9 tells us here that the gospel is the gospel of God's Son. There's no other way of salvation. We must preach Christ and make Christ known. All right, points 2 and 3 are not as long as point 1. Second, Paul writes to strengthen them. To strengthen them. We see this in verse 11. He's eager to preach the gospel, not only because he's not ashamed of the gospel, but secondly, he preaches, he wants to preach to them to strengthen them. He says in verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, in a sense, we read here that they are already strong. In verse 8, he says, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Uh, he says uh, in verse 12 that he wants to be mutually encouraged. He wants to be encouraged by their faith as, as well. Paul needs encouragement as well. But how is he going to, to strengthen them? Well, again, through the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel strengthens, and Romans is... The gospel in written form. The great reformer, Martin Luther, called it the purest gospel. Or in other words, we would say the purest form of the gospel found here in the book of Romans. The gospel. We can never hear it enough. Never hear it enough. The good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But secondly, I think Paul is is writing to strengthen them to give a vision for the gospel and its work. In Romans, there are hints of tension, hints of ethnic tensions between Jewish and Gentile Christians, perhaps because many Jewish Christians have been gone and are now returning. There are some hints In the gospel, he wants to to unify them. And one way to unify people is to give them a vision for something greater than themselves. 
a greater purpose, a greater work that takes us beyond ourselves, outside of ourselves. My close friend and former pastor and pastoral mentor, uh, Dr. Charlie Wingard, who now teaches at RTS Jackson, wrote, wrote this, when church members do not give themselves to anything higher than their own personal interests, church life turns into a soap opera of whining, bickering, and mistrust. Do not give themselves to anything higher than their own personal interests. We need to give ourselves to something more, to one another, to a greater purpose that God has for us as God's people. But third, those who are truly gripped by the gospel are compelled to make it known. Those who are truly gripped by the gospel are compelled to make it known. J.C. Ryle, in his book, Holiness, tells the story of a, what he calls a, a thoughtless, ungodly English traveler who's talking to a a North American, as he puts it, Indian uh, convert, today we'd say Native American convert. This uh, English traveler says, man, what is the reason that you make so much of Christ and talk so much about him? What has this Christ done for you that you make so much ado about him? Rao goes on to write, the converted Indian did not answer him in words. He gathered together some dry leaves and moss and made a ring with them on the ground. He picked up a live worm and put it in the middle of the ring. He struck a light and set the moss and leaves on fire. The flame soon rose and the heat scorched the worm. It writhed in agony, and after trying in vain to escape on every side, curled itself up in the middle as if about to die in despair. At that moment, the Indian reached forth his hand, took up the worm gently, and placed it on his bosom. Stranger, he said to the Englishman, do you see that worm? I was that perishing creature. I was dying in my sins, hopeless, helpless, and on the brink of eternal fire. It was Jesus Christ who put forth the arm of his power. It was Jesus Christ who delivered me with the hand of his grace and plucked me from everlasting burnings. It was Jesus Christ who placed me, a poor, sinful worm, near the heart of his love. Stranger, That is the reason why I talk of Jesus Christ and make much of him. I am not ashamed of it because I love him. That's why we talk about Christ. We're not ashamed of him because we love him. The gospel strengthens us. Third and finally, Paul is eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome for the salvation of sinners and for the glory of of God. In verse 13, he says he wants to come and, and reap a harvest through his evangelistic activity. But central in all of this, of course, is the preaching 
of the gospel. The gospel, as he says in verse 16, the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. As scripture says elsewhere, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Once again, Christianity is a religion of the ear and the mouth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It is through preaching that God transforms hearts. As John Stott puts it, if the gospel has come to us, we have no liberty to keep it to ourselves. If the gospel has come to us, we have no liberty to keep it to ourselves. That's why we do missions. That's why we support missionaries. That's why we focus on the preaching of the gospel. That's why we support missionaries who preach the gospel. It's why we need a constant renewed vision, constant renewed commitment to the Great Commission. God is glorified in the conversion, the salvation of sinners. And the glory of God is ultimate. The glory of God is ultimate. The worship of God is ultimate. Worship is first. But as John Piper puts it, missions exist because worship does not. We do missions because we want more and more people to know and to worship the one true and living God. Let's pray together. Our God, how we thank you that you indeed are a great God, a God who has plucked us from the burning fires of hell itself, that you have placed us on your own bosom, that you have loved us, O God, who don't deserve your love. You have loved us with an everlasting love. So, O God, we pray that you would give us great hearts for you, and great hearts for those who do not know you. God, work in and through us, we pray, for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.